verse. We don't have a lot of time, so we start today uh, from Hebrews 3, and uh, we'll continue into that today. But I just want to tell you how encouraged I was walking away from last week. And just thank you guys um, as the church for uh, just coming together and, uh, and, uh, and uniting together like that. And so I just want to, to thank you for that. But we are in Hebrews chapter 3 today. Read the whole passage one through six, and then we'll go back and work through it. Says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider him Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful uh, to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Moses has been counted worthy of more glory. Uh, sorry, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as his son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting. So the first thing I want us to see right here at the end, this is what this is all working towards, is the fact that we, as Christians, get to be part of his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So what does that mean? What is our hope? What is our hope as Christians? Our hope is in Jesus. And that's what this whole passage is about. He starts with telling us, hey, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And so we just want to consider Jesus today. We want to consider Jesus as we look at these different aspects of who Jesus is. And so I want to ask you, are you holding fast to a hope in Jesus as a part of his house? Is that what you're holding on to? The key to that is understanding him. To have true hope in him, we need to know him. We need to understand him. So the first thing we see about Jesus is, therefore, holy, brother, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So the first thing is, Jesus is our apostle. Now, what does that mean? Because usually when we think about an apostle, what do we think about? We think about like one of his apostles, right? One of the twelve um, that he sent out. We think of uh, Peter, Paul, uh, James, John. Guys, that, that after Jesus ascended into heaven were really put in charge over the church and uh, really um, oversaw everything under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, they were a key part in, in developing the New Testament um, and all of that. It was under their leadership and everything. Uh, so that's usually who we think about. And I, I think this is the only passage that I can think of in Scripture that talks about Jesus as our apostle. Um, if anybody else can think of another one, I'd love to hear about it later. But um, Jesus is our apostle, is what he's telling us here. So what does that mean? To understand that, we need to understand what an apostle is. Um, an apostle is someone who is sent. Someone who is sent with either a mission or a message. Um, and so uh, the apostles, that's why they got that, that name, was because Jesus sent them with the good news, with the message about him, with the mission of spreading that gospel and spreading it everywhere. Um, and so that was why they were called the apostles. Well, here, what the author of Hebrews is telling 
that equally Jesus was sent. Jesus was someone who was sent with a mission and a message. And he was sent from God the Father into earth. He came down, the eternal second person of the Trinity came to earth to live as one of us. He came on a mission. He came as one who was sent. Um, and he fulfilled that mission. He fulfilled um, his apostolic calling on what God had given him to do. Um, now, uh, with that said, what that also points us to is the fact that Jesus, since he was one who was sent, tells us who he was before he was sent. And this, all, the, the fact that Jesus is our apostle points to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is deity, that he is God himself. Um, and so we see that in the fact that he is the apostle. Next, it says, and he's our high priest. Well, the thing about a high priest, we already looked at this in a past sermon, so I'm not going into a lot of detail about the high priest. Um, but we do remember that uh, Jesus as our high priest, is he's the one that's interceding for us with the Father. He's there identifying with us. Um, in fact, what we've already covered in Hebrews, Jesus showed us the fact that he can identify with us because he lived as one of us, right? And so the things that we struggle with, the hard things that we go through, Jesus is like, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I lived through that. Yeah, I, I know what that's like, um, especially when it comes to temptations. Like, Jesus was tempted in every way, um, and yet he never sinned. And so he's our high priest, our perfect high priest, who's able uh, to be there for us, interceding with a, for us with the Father. What does this mean? This means that Jesus is our high priest, also points to the fact that he is fully man. So, as, as Jesus as our apostle, it points to the fact that he is fully God. Jesus as the high priest points to the fact that he is also fully man. And he, and he puts this all together in one in Jesus. Jesus is the fully God, fully man. It was a perfect sacrifice. He made a way for us. And it's, it's in him that we have that hope. If Jesus was not either of those things, we cannot have hope. If Jesus were, were only God, then he would not have been able to die. If he could not die, he could not pay the price for us. He could not pay the price for our sin. Therefore, we would be without hope. If Jesus were only man, then he would sin. He would have been sinful. And therefore, he could not have been the perfect sinless sacrifice. Therefore, we could not have our hope in him. So our hope has to be found in the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is our apostle and he is our high priest. And that all leads to the next thing we see in verse 2, where it says, Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Jesus is faithful. He is an apostle and high priest who is faithful. Now, the author of Hebrews here starts this comparison with Moses. And for us to really understand what he's getting at here, we need to understand Moses in the way that these people understood Moses. So, how did Jewish people at this time view Moses? What would they think of him? Well, let's just go back and do a little Moses review. Okay? Um, so, uh, we first see Moses when 
the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. Um, and in fact, God is still blessing them even in slavery. They're growing, they're multiplying, uh, so much so that the Pharaoh is kind of freaking out. And it's like, hey, there's this massive group of people just rising up under my nose and I've got to put a stop to this or they're going to become too great and overthrow us. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to issue an order uh, where all of their male babies have to be killed. Um, and uh, so that was the order. Uh, mass genocide uh, is what's going on in the country. Um, and at that point, Moses is born. And Moses' mom protects him and hides him. Which, I don't know how many of you guys have been around newborns, but hiding a newborn seems like a pretty hard task especially when you consider this was before, like, modern insulation, right? So, like, baby starts crying. What did, what, what'd she do? She put a pillow over him? Oh, well, you breathe again. Um, like, you know, like, how do you hide, hide the... Anyway, so she hit him as long as she could, and then she's like, I've just got to give this baby over to God and see what happens. And so she makes her nice little basket, she puts the baby in it, and floats him down the river, and uh, sure enough, in God's providence, uh, who finds the baby? But Pharaoh's daughter, uh, the very guy that had issued the execution order, um, his daughter finds the baby and says, this baby's going to be my baby. Um, and she takes him home with him. And uh, Moses' sister was like sneaking around, watching him float down the river. And she, she runs up and says, hey, do you need somebody to take care of the baby? <coughs> I.e., um, a mother that is lactating. Um, and uh, the lady's like, why, yes, I do. I'm not doing that myself right now, so that would help me in feeding this baby. Um, and so uh, who does his sister go? His sister goes and gets his own mom. Um, so his own mom is then able to raise Moses inside Pharaoh's house, uh, in the house of the very man who issued the order that he should be killed. Um, and this is where Moses grows up. And so from the start, you see God's hand, the providential hand, just over this guy's life. Um, from the very beginning. And then Moses grows up and uh, he has this little incident where he kind of kills somebody because they were um, beating on, a, on one of the Israelites. And so he was siding with the Israelites over uh, the Egyptians. And then he was afraid Pharaoh was going to find out. So he runs off, um, ends up out in the wilderness, um, meets some pretty girl, and it's like, hey, hey, they get together. Um, he starts taking care of her dad's sheep. Um, they're doing this whole sheep thing. And so he's kind of just like, and know where no man's land, right? That's where he's at, he's taking care of sheep. And while he's out here taking care of sheep, all of a sudden God shows up again, and it's in this burning bush. It's a burning bush that doesn't burn up. And out of this, God speaks to him and calls him and says, hey, um, my plan for you is not for you to be sitting out here just watching sheep. Uh, my plan for you is to go back to Egypt and lead all of my people out of Egypt. And Moses, being uh, the man of great confidence that he was, up with his long list of excuses of why he should not do this, right? Um, anybody ever been there? You feel like God's leading you to do something, and you're like, um, yeah, but God, you don't know about this and this and this. And, uh, and so, in the end, Moses does this, and he goes um, back to Egypt, and as a one-man wrecking force with God's power behind him, uh, the plagues come upon Egypt. Um, and, it, and it's pretty much the only time in recorded history where you see um, a mass group of people who were enslaved based, based on their ethnicity, who without any war, any conflict, any uprising really of their own 
Moses set free. Because God worked through Moses. And so Moses would come in and he would say, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh would say no. Moses would say, okay, here's what's going to happen next. And that would happen. And Pharaoh would go, oh, no, this is horrible. Moses, please take it away. You guys can go. And he would, he would pray. God would take it away. And then Pharaoh would burn his heart again. Nope, can't go. And this whole thing until it came down uh, to the point of uh, the final plague, uh, which was when God took the firstborn of every household in Egypt. Um, it's also where we see the Passover lamb in the story, uh, where God passed over those um, who were Israelites, those who were, who were his people. He did not take the firstborn from their household. And so Moses is the figure that, that God is using to lead his people out. So he leads them out. They, they're led out. Um, they're heading towards the promised land. Pharaoh changes his mind again, jumps on his chariots, they're chasing after him. Um, I don't know if Moses just wasn't the best at reading maps or what, but for some reason uh, he led them straight uh, to the Red Sea. Um, and there's kind of a big body of water in the way um, and an army chasing them. And everybody's freaking out. Uh, oh, no, now we're just out here to die. Way to go, Moses. Thanks for bringing us out here. So once again, Moses prays, and he lifts his staff over the water. The waters divide in two. The people walk across on dry land, and he gets to the other side, and then Moses removes his staff, and the waters come crashing in on top of the whole Egyptian army. Just like that, their whole army was wiped out. And just like that, God is providentially working through this man's life to lead and guide his people. From there, Moses goes up on a mountain. It's God's word. Um, he gets the word of God for God's people. This is how you're to live. This is how you're act. This is how you're to be as my people. This is who you're supposed to be. And he gives gives all this to Moses. And Moses is seen as the conveyor of God's word to his people. In fact, sometimes when we see Moses mentioned like this in the New Testament, the real reference isn't so much even to the man, uh, but to what he was known for. In fact, he was known for being the one who, who gave God's word. That's what he's almost synonymous with uh, as we look back on him. And there's a long history there of the people not listening and all this. Um, and then finally, we see at the end of Moses' life, um, the fact again of God's providence where he had on this man, where Moses, even at the end of his life, went up on a mountain and then died. And God took him and buried him. So from start to finish of this man's life, you see God's hand toward him. And throughout his life, you see him ultimately being a faithful servant, a very faithful servant in God's plan, in what God was doing. And so this is how the Jewish people would have seen this man. This was, he was like the poster child. He, 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 was, he was the best. I was trying to think of a good Canadian equivalent, but I couldn't. Uh, but I could think of a good American equivalent. Um, he was like the George Washington um, for Americans, uh, where you know this is the guy that, that made us who we are. This is the guy that God used to bring us out to, to free us. Um, and so, uh, so yeah. And the author of Hebrews takes that mentality. 
And then he compares it to Jesus, who was faithful to him, to him appointed, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. You see, Jesus is worthy people were fixated on Moses, and they're like, hey, I want to be known as someone who follows Moses, meaning I want to be known as someone who follows the law. I want to be known as someone who keeps the rules. Now, I don't know for how many of us really have a great temptation to be a follower of Moses, um, but I know a comparison for us would probably be, um, we want to be really good moral people. That's what it meant for these people to be a follower of Moses. They were saying, hey, I'm a really good person. I'm a, I'm a really good person. I'm keeping the law. I'm keeping the rules that Moses gave us. And yet, what is worth way more value than that is Jesus. He is worthy of much more glory than that. Much more glory as Jesus is the builder of God's house. Moses was a faithful servant. He was a faithful servant in that house. Jesus is the builder of the house. When we look at, at some great piece of architecture, what, what do we say? We say, wow, that's, that's a beautiful building. Um, take, for instance, like Mission Hill. I love just going up to Mission Hill, walking around, seeing the architecture seeing the views from there, like the way it's all laid out, it's just magnificent, right? It's just beautiful. Um, and so I can look at that and I can say, wow, this archway is worthy of so much admiration, right? Or if I really think about it, I should say, man, whoever designed this, whoever it was that, that laid these bricks and put them into place to build this thing, those are the people that I should really be impressed with. I should be impressed with them, not just these bricks. Well, that's what the point he's making here is Jesus is the one that's building. He's the master architect. He's the builder. He's building God's house. And he's building it out of us. He's building it out of his people. We get to play a role in that. We get to be a part of his house. And being part of his house is a beautiful, magnificent thing. But that does not make us in any way equal or worthy of glory like the one who's building it. And that's the comparison he's making to Moses here. It's like, hey, Moses played a very important role in God's house. He was a big deal. But you know what? He's not nearly as big a deal as the one that's been building the whole thing from the start. And so, that's the point that he's getting to. Verses 5 and 6, he goes on and says this. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. And so what we see here is another interesting little language thing. Okay, so in Greek, uh, there's one word, doulos, uh, 
that's usually what we normally see for servant throughout the New Testament. The word used here uh, for servant is only used in this place in all the New Testament. It's the only time we see this word in the Greek um, that's translated as servant. Um, and really, when you understand that word more, um, it's not just servant in the sense that, that we might think of servant as in a lowly position. Um, this would be like head servant, like important um, servant that's in charge over the whole house. Um, so think back to like maybe uh, uh, Joseph uh, when he's in Potiphar's house. He's put in charge over the whole household, over everything inside that house. That that kind of authority, that kind of position. And so it's not he's not saying here that, hey, Moses was nothing. He's saying, hey, Moses was important. Moses is a big deal. Old Testament still important. Uh, the Word of God very important, but not nearly as important as Jesus. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the one who's building it all and is faithful. And he is in charge over all of it. Jesus is the Son of God in charge over the house of God. And that's a lot of content about Jesus. him as the builder of God's house, meaning we identify him as the one that's building God's kingdom in us, building us up as a part of that house, because he is the son of God in charge of the house of God, that we get to submit to that and be part of that. I thought a great way for us just to wrap up the message today is to hear Jesus' words himself. about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish was in me also. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His, his voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the Sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not 
receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, one another and do not seek the glory that comes from you alone? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' by your grace, it's by your goodness, it's by the good gift that you give us that we're able to have that hope in you. And Lord, we know that it was all made possible through Jesus. It was all made possible by our apostle and high priest. It was all made possible by fully God, fully man, that was never doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior, hasn't come to faith in Jesus, hasn't come to you. Lord, I pray that this day that they will place their faith in you, that they will be born again, and have a hope for the future, a hope for all eternity. And Lord, for, for those of us who do know you, let us just be reminded, let us just consider Jesus, let us just consider him and who he is, what he's done for us.